to Beyond, an hour-long program of science fiction, fantasy, and other things unexplained. This is your host, Beverly Prentice, and today I have a part one. Actually, it's a story by Isaac Asimov, and if you're familiar with this kind of writing, you know who he is. The name of the story is Nightfall. Part one today, part two next week. Atten, director of Sorrow University, thrust out a belligerent lower lip and glared at the young newspaperman in a hot fury. Theremin took that fury in his stride in his earlier days when his now widely syndicated column was only a mad idea in a cub reporter's mind. He had specialized in impossible interviews. It had cost him bruises, black eyes, and broken bones, but it had given him an ample supply of coolness and self-confidence. So he lowered the outthrust hand that had been so pointedly ignored— and calmly waited for the aged director to get over the worst. Astronomers were weird ducks anyway, and if Atten's actions of the last two months meant anything, this same Atten was the weirdest duck of the lot. Atten found his voice, and though it trembled with restrained emotion, the careful, somewhat pedantic phraseology for which the famous astronomer was noted did not abandon him. Sir, he said, you display an infernal gall in coming to me with that impudent proposition of yours, the husky telephotographer of the observatory Bine thrust a tongue's tip across dry lips and interposed nervously. Now, sir, after all, the director turned to him and lifted a white eyebrow. Do not interfere, Bine. I will credit you with good intentions in bringing this man here, but I will tolerate no insubordination now. Theremin decided it was time to take apart. Director Atan, if you'll let me finish what I started saying, I think... I don't believe you, young men, retorted Atten, that anything you could say now would count much as compared with your daily columns of these last two months. You have led a vast newspaper campaign against the efforts of myself and my colleagues to organize the world against the menace which is now too late to avert. You have done your best with your highly personal attacks to make the staff of this observatory objects of ridicule. The director lifted a copy of the Sorrow City Chronicle from the table and shook it at Thurman furiously. Even a person of your well-known impudence should have hesitated before coming to me with a request that he be allowed to cover today's events for his paper. Of all newsmen, you! Atten dashed the newspaper to the floor, strode to the window, and clasped his arms behind his back. You may leave, he snapped over his shoulder. He stared moodily out at the skyline, where Gamma, 
the brightest of the planet's six suns, was setting. It had already faded and yellowed into the horizon mists, and Adam knew he would never see it again as a sane man. He whirled. No, wait, come here. He gestured preemptorily. I'll give you your story. The newsman had made no motion to leave, and now he approached the old man slowly. Atten gestured outward. Of the six suns, only Beta is left in the sky. Do you see it? The question was rather unnecessary. Beta was almost at zenith, its ruddy light flooding the landscape to an unusual orange as the brilliant rays of setting gamma died. Beta was at Aphelion. It was small, smaller than Theremin had ever seen it before, and for the moment it was undisputed ruler of Lagash's sky. Lagash's own son, Alpha, the one about which it revolved, was at the Antipodes, as were the two distant companion pairs. The red dwarf Beta, Alpha's immediate companion, was alone, grimly alone. Apton's upturned face flushed redly in the sunlight. In just under four hours, he said, civilization as we know it comes to an end. It will do so because, as you see, Beta is the only sun in the sky. He smiled grimly. Print that. There'll be no one to read it. But if it turns out that four hours pass and another four and nothing happens, asked Theremin softly, don't let that worry you. Enough will happen. Granted, and still if nothing happens, for a second time Beanie spoke. Sir, I think you ought to listen to him. Theremin said, put it to a vote, Dr. Atten. There was a stir among the remaining five members of the observatory staff, who till now had maintained an attitude of wary neutrality. That, stated Atten flatly, is not necessary. He drew out his pocket watch. Since your good friend Binet insists so urgently, I will give you five minutes. Talk away. Good. Now, just what difference would it make? If you allowed me to take down an eyewitness account of what's to come, if your prediction comes true, my presence won't hurt, for in that case my column would never be written. On the other hand, if nothing comes of it, you will just have to expect ridicule or worse. It would be wise to leave that ridicule to friendly hands. Atten snorted. Do you mean yours when you speak of friendly hands? Certainly. Theremin sat down and crossed his legs. My columns may have been a little rough, but I gave you people the benefit of the doubt every time. After all, this is not the century to preach the end of the world is at hand to Lagash. You have to understand that people don't believe the book of Revelations anymore, and it annoys them to have scientists turn about face and tell us the cultists are right after all. No such thing, young man, interrupted Atten. While a great deal of our data has been supplied us by the cult, our results 
contain nothing of the cult's mysticism. Facts are facts, and the cult's so-called mythology has certain facts behind it. We've exposed them and ripped away their mystery. I assure you that the cult hates us now worse than you do. I don't hate you. I'm just trying to tell you that the public is in ugly humor. They're angry. Atten twisted his mouth in derision. Let them be angry. Yes, but what about tomorrow? There'll be no tomorrow. But if there is, say that there is just to see what happens. That anger might take shape into something serious. After all, you know, business has taken a nosedive these last two months. Investors don't really believe the world is coming to an end, but just the same, they're being cagey with their money until it's all over. Johnny Public doesn't believe you either. But the new spring furniture might just as well wait a few months just to make sure. You see the point. Just as soon as this is all over, the business interests will be after your hide. They'll say that if crackpots, begging your pardon, can upset the country's prosperity any time they want simply by making some cockeyed prediction that's up to the planet to prevent them. The sparks will fly, sir. The director regarded the columnist sternly. And just what were you proposing to do to help the situation? Well, Theremin grinned. I was proposing to take charge of the publicity. I can handle things so that only the ridiculous side will show. It would be hard to stand, I admit, because I'd have to make you all out to be a bunch of gibbering idiots. But if I can get people laughing at you, they might forget to be angry. In return for that, all my publisher asks is an exclusive story. Benet nodded and burst out, Sir, the rest of us think he's right. These last two months we've considered everything but the million-to-one chance that there's an error somewhere in our theory or in our calculations. We ought to take care of that, too. There was a murmur of agreement from the men grouped about the table. And Anton Atan's expression became that of the one who found his mouth full of something bitter and couldn't get rid of it. You may stay if you wish, then. You will kindly refrain, however, from hampering us in our duties in any way. You will also remember that I am in charge of all activities here, and in spite of your opinions as expressed in your columns, I will expect full cooperation and full respect. His hands were behind his back, and his wrinkled face thrust forward determinedly as he spoke. He might have continued indefinitely before the intrusion of a new voice. Hello, hello, hello. It came in a high tenor, and the plump cheeks of the newcomer expanded in a pleased smile. What's this morgue-like atmosphere about here? No one's losing his nerve, I hope. Atten stared in consternation and said peevishly, Now what the devil are you doing here, Sheeran? I thought you were going to stay behind in the hideout. Sheeran laughed and dropped his stubby figure into a chair. Hideout be blowed, the place bored me. I wanted to be here, where things are getting hot. 
Don't you suppose I have my share of curiosity? I want to see these stars the cultists are forever speaking about. He rubbed his hands and added in a soberer tone, It's freezing outside. The wind's enough to hang icicles on your nose. Beta doesn't seem to give any heat at all, at the distance it is. The white-haired director ground his teeth in sudden exasperation. Why do you go out of your way to do crazy things, Sheeran? What kind of good are you around here? What kind of good am I around here? Sheeran spread his palms in comical resignation. A psychologist isn't worth his salt in the hideout. They need men of action and strong, healthy women that can breed children. Me? I'm a hundred pounds too heavy for a man of action, and I wouldn't be a success at breeding children. So I bother them with an extra mouth to feed. I feel better over here. Theremin spoke briskly. Just what is the hideout, sir? Sheeran seemed to see the columnist for the first time. He frowned and blew his ample cheeks out. And just who in Lagash are you, redhead? Atten compressed his lips and then muttered sullenly, That's Theremin, the newspaper fellow. I suppose you've heard of him. The columnist offered his hand. And, of course, you're Sheeran of Sorrow University. I've heard of you. Then he repeated, What is this hideout, sir? Well, said Sheeran, We have managed to convince a few people of the validity of our prophecy of doom, uh, doom, to be spectacular about it, and those few have taken proper measures. They consist mainly of the immediate members of the families of the observatory staff, certain of the faculty of Sorrow University, and a few outsiders— Altogether, they number about three hundred, but three-quarters are women and children. I see. They're supposed to hide where the darkness and the er, stars can't get at them and then hold out when the rest of the world goes poof? If they can, it won't be easy. With all of mankind insane, with the great cities going up in flames, environment will not be conducive to survival. But they have food, water, shelter, and weapons. They've got more, said Atten. They've got all our records, except for what we will collect today. Those records will mean everything to the next cycle. And that's what must survive. The rest can go hang. Theremin uttered a long, low whistle and sat brooding for several minutes. The men about the tables had brought out a multi-chessboard and started a six-member game. Moves were made rapidly and in silence, all eyes bent in furious concentration on the board. Theremin watched them intently and then rose and approached Atten, who sat apart in whispered conversation with Sheeran. Listen, he said, let's go somewhere where we won't bother the rest of the fellows. I want to ask some questions. The aged astronomer frowned sourly at him, but Sheeran chirped up. 
Certainly, it will do me good to talk. It always does. Atten was telling me about your ideas concerning world reaction to a failure of the prediction, and I agree with you. I read your column pretty regularly, by the way, and as a general thing, I like your views. Please, Sharon, growled Atten. Nah, oh, all right. We'll go into the next room. It has softer chairs anyway. There were softer chairs in the next room. There were also thick red curtains on the windows and a maroon carpet on the floor. With the bricky light of beta pouring in, the general effect was one of dried blood. Theremin shuddered. Say I give ten credits for a decent dose of white light for just a second. I wish gamma or delta were in the sky. What are your questions? asked Atan. Please remember that our time is limited. In a little over an hour and a quarter, we're going upstairs. And after that, there will be no time for talk. Well, here it is. Theremin leaned back and folded his hands on his chest. You people seem all so fired serious about this that I'm beginning to believe you. Would you mind explaining what it's all about? Atten exploded. Do you mean to sit there and tell me that you've been bombarding us with ridicule without even finding out what we've been trying to say? The columnist grinned sheepishly. It's not that bad, sir. I've got the general idea. You say there is going to be a worldwide darkness in a few hours and that all mankind will go violently insane. What I want now is the science behind it. No, you don't. No, you don't, broke in Sheeran. If you ask Atan for that, supposing him to be in a mood to answer at all, he'll trot out pages of figures and volumes of graphs. You won't make head or tail of it. Now, if you were to ask me, I could give you the layman's standpoint. All right, I ask you. Then first I'd like a drink. He rubbed his hands and looked at Atten. Water? grunted Atten. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. No alcohol today. It would be too easy to get my men drunk. I can't afford to tempt them. The psychologist grumbled wordlessly. He turned to Theremin and paled him with his sharp eyes and began. You realize, of course, that the history of civilization on Lagash displays a cyclic character, but I mean cyclic. I know, replied Theremin cautiously, that that is the current archaeological theory. Has it been accepted as fact? Just about. In this last century, it's been generally agreed upon. This cyclic character is, or rather was, one of the great mysteries. We've located series of civilizations, nine of them definitely, and indications of others as well, all of which have reached heights comparable to our own and all there which, without exception, were destroyed by fire at the very height of their culture. And no one could tell why. All centers of culture were thoroughly gutted by fire, 
with nothing left behind to give a hint as to the cause. Theremin was following closely. Wasn't there a Stone Age, too? Probably, but as yet practically nothing is known of it except that men of that age were little more than rather intelligent apes. We could forget about that. I see. Go on. There have been explanations of these recurrent catastrophes, all a more or less fantastic nature. Some say that there are periodic rains of fire, some that Lagash passes through a sun every so often, that some even wilder things. But there is one theory, quite different from all of these, that has been handed down over a period of centuries. I know. You mean this myth of the stars that the cultists have in their Book of Revelations? Exactly, rejoined Sheeran with satisfaction. The cultists said that every 2,050 years, Lagash entered a huge cave so that all the suns disappeared and there came total darkness all over the world. And then, they say, things called stars appeared, which robbed men of their souls and left them unreasoning brutes so that they destroyed the civilizations themselves. Of course, they mix all this up with a lot of religio-mystic notions, but uh, that's the central idea. There was a short pause in which Sheeran drew a long breath. And now we come to the theory of universal gravitation. He pronounced the phrase so that the capital letters sounded, and at the point, Atten turned from the window, snorted loudly, and stalked out of the room. The two stared after him, and Theremin said, What's wrong? Nothing in particular, replied Sheeran. Two of the men were due several hours ago and haven't shown up yet. He's terrifically short-handed, of course, but because all but the really essential men have gone to the hideout. You don't think the two deserted, do you? Who, Pharaoh and Yimat? Of course not. Still, if they're not back within the hour, things will be a little sticky. He got to his feet suddenly, and his eyes twinkled. Anyway, as long as Atten is gone, tiptoeing to the nearest window, he squatted, and from the low window box beneath withdrew a bottle of red liquid that gurgled suggestively when he shook it. I thought Atten didn't know about this, he remarked as he trotted back to the table. Here, we've only got one glass, so... As the guest, you can have it. I'll keep the bottle. And he filled the tiny cup with judicious care. Theremin rose to protest, but Sheeran eyed him sternly. Respect your elders, young man. The newsman seated himself with a look of anguish on his face. Go ahead, then, you old villain. The psychologist Adam's apple wobbled as the bottle upended. And then, with a satisfied grunt and a smack of the lips, he began again. But what do you know about gravitation? Nothing, 
except that it's a very recent development, not too well established, and that the math is so hard that only 12 men in Lagash are supposed to understand it. (laughs) Nonsense. Baloney. I can give you all the essential math in a sentence. The law of universal gravitation states that there exists a cohesive force among all bodies of the universe, such that the amount of this force between any two given bodies is proportional to the product of their masses divided by the square of the distance between them. Is that all? That's enough. It took 400 years to develop it. Why that long? It sounded simple enough the way you said it. Because great laws are not divined by flashes of inspiration, whatever you may think. It usually takes the combined work of a world full of scientists over a period of centuries. After Genovi discovered that Lagash rotated about the sun Alpha rather than vice versa, and that was 400 years ago, astronomers have been working. The complex motions of the six suns were recorded and analyzed and unwoven. Theory after theory was advanced and checked and counterchecked and modified and abandoned and revived and converted to something else. It was a devil of a job. Theremin nodded thoughtfully and held out his glass for more liquor. Shearing grudgingly allowed a few ruby drops to leave the bottle. It was twenty years ago, he continued after remoistening his own throat, that it was finally demonstrated that the law of universal gravitation accounted exactly for the orbital motions of the six suns. It was a great triumph. Sheeran stood up and walked to the window, still clutching his bottle. And now we're getting to the point. In the last decade, the motions of Lagash about Alpha were computed according to gravity, and it did not account for the Obert observed. Not even when all perturbations due to the other suns were included, either the law was invalid or there was another, as yet unknown, factor involved. Theremin joined Sheeran at the window and gazed out past the wooded slopes to where the spires of Sorrow City gleamed bloodily on the horizon. The newsman felt the tension of uncertainty grow within him as he cast a short glance at Beta. It glowered readily at Zenith, dwarfed and evil. Go ahead, sir, he said softly. Sheeran replied, Astronomers stumbled about for year. Each proposed theory more untenable than the one before until Atten had the inspiration of calling in the cult. The head of the cult, Sor, had access to certain data that simplified the problem considerably. Atten set to work on a new track. What if there were another non-luminous planetary body, such as Lagash? If there were, you know, it would shine only by reflected light, and if it were compo- composed of bluish rock, 
as Lagash itself largely is, then in the redness of the sky, the eternal blaze of the suns would make it invisible, drown it out completely. What a screwy idea. You think that's screwy? Listen to this. Suppose this body rotated about Lagash at such a distance and in such an orbit and had such a mass that its attention would exactly account for the deviations of Lagash's orbit from theory. Do you know what would happen? The columnist shook his head. Well, sometimes this body would get in the way of a sun and Sheeran emptied what remained in the bottle at a draft. And it does, I suppose, said Theremin flatly. Yes, but only one sun lies in its plane of revolution. He jerked a thumb at the shrunken sun above. Beta, and it has been shown that the eclipse will occur only when the arrangement of the suns is such that Beta is alone in its hemisphere and at maximum distance, at which time the moon is invariably at minimum distance. The eclipse that results with the moon seven times the apparent diameter of Beta covers all of Lagash and lasts well over half a day, so that no spot on the planet escapes the effects. That eclipse comes once every 2,049 years. Theremin's face was drawn into an expressionless mask. And that's my story? The psychologist nodded. That's all of it. First, the eclipse, which will start in three-quarters of an hour, then universal darkness, and maybe these mysterious stars, then madness, and end of the cycle. He brooded. We had two months leeway, we at the observatory, and that wasn't enough time to persuade Lagash of the danger. Two centuries might not have been enough, but our records are at the hideout. And today, we photograph the eclipse. The next cycle will start off with the truth, and when the next eclipse comes, mankind will at last be ready for it. Come to think of it, that's part of your story, too. A thin wind ruffled the curtains at the window as Theremin opened it and leaned out. It played coldly with his hair as he stared at the crimson sunlight on his hand. Then he turned in sudden rebellion. What is there in darkness to drive me mad? Sheeran smiled to himself as he spun the empty liquor bottle with abstracted motions of his hand. Have you ever experienced darkness, young man? The newsman leaned against the wall and considered. No, can't say I have, but I know what it is. Just, uh... He made vague motions with his fingers and then brightened. Just no light, like in caves. Have you ever been in a cave? In a cave? Of course not. I thought not. I tried last week just to see, but I got out in a hurry. I went in until the mouth of the cave was just visible as a blur of light. Black everywhere else. 
I never thought a person my weight could run that fast. Theremin's lip curled. Well, if it comes to that, I guess I wouldn't have run if I had been there. The psychologist studied the young man with an annoyed frown. My, don't you talk big. I dare you to draw the curtain. Theremin looked at surprise and said, What for? If we had four or five sons out there, we might want to cut the light down for a bit of comfort, but now we haven't even enough light as it is. That's the point. Just draw the curtain, then come here and sit down. All right. Theremin reached for the tasseled string and jerked. The red curtain slid across the wide window, the brass rings hissing their way along the crossbar, and a dusk-red shadow clamped down on the room. Theremin's footsteps sounded hollowy in the silence as he made his way to the table, and then they stopped halfway. I can't see you, sir, he whispered. Feel your way, ordered Chirin in a strained voice. But I can't see you, sir. The newsman was breathing harshly. I can't see anything. What did you expect, came the grim reply. Come here and sit down. The footsteps sounded again, waveringly, approaching slowly. There was the sound of someone fumbling with the chair. Theremin's voice came thinly. Here I am. I feel all right. You like it, do you? No, it's pretty awful. The walls seem to be, he paused. They seem to be closing in on me. I keep wanting to push them away, but I'm not going mad. In fact, the feeling isn't as bad as it was. All right. Draw the curtain back again. There were cautious footsteps through the dark, the rustle of Theremin's body against the curtain as he felt for the tassel, and then the triumphant whoosh of the curtain slithering back. Red light flooded the room, and with a cry of joy, Theremin looked up at the sun. Sheeran wiped the moistness off his forehead with the back of a hand and said shakily, and that was just a dark room. It can be stood, said Theremin lightly. Yes, a dark room can. But were you at the Jungler Centennial Exposition two years ago? No, it so happens I never got around to it. 6,000 miles was just a bit too much to travel, even for the exposition. Well, I was there. You remember hearing about the tunnel of mystery that broke all records in the amusement area for the first month or so, anyway? Yeah. Wasn't there some fuss about it? Very little. It was hushed up. You see, that tunnel of mystery was just a mile-long tunnel with no lights. You got into a little open car and jolted along through darkness for 15 minutes. It was very popular. While it lasted. Popular? Certainly. There's a fascination in being frightened when it's part of a game. A baby is born with three instinctive fears of loud noises, of falling, and of the absence of light. 
That's why it's considered so funny to jump at someone and shout the boo. That's why it's such fun to ride a roller coaster. And that's why that tunnel of mystery started cleaning up. People came out of that darkness, shaking, breathless, half dead with fear. But they kept on paying to get in. Wait a while. I remember now. Some people came out dead, didn't they? There were rumors of that after it shut down. The psychologist snorted. Two or three died. That was nothing. They paid off the families of the dead ones and argued the jungular city council into forgetting it. After all, they said, if people with weak hearts want to go through the tunnel, it was at their own risk. And besides, it wouldn't happen again. So they put a doctor in the front office and had every customer go through a physical examination before getting into the car. That actually boosted ticket sales. Well then, but you see, there was something else. People sometimes came out in perfect order, except that they refused to go into buildings, any buildings, including palaces, mansions, apartment houses, tenements, cottages, huts, shacks, lean-tos, and tents. Theremin looked shocked. You mean they refused to come in out of the open? Where'd they sleep? In the open. They should have forced them inside. Oh, they did. They did. Whereupon these people went into violent hysterics and did their best to bat their brains out against the nearest wall. Once you got them inside, you couldn't keep them there without a straitjacket or a heavy dose of tranquilizer. They must have been crazy, which is exactly what they were. One person out of every ten who went into that tunnel came out that way. They called in the psychologists, and we did the only thing possible. We closed down the exhibit. He spread his hands. What was the matter with these people, asked Theremin finally. Essentially, the same thing that was the matter with you, when you thought the walls of the room were crushing in on you in the dark. There is a psychological term for mankind's instinctive fear of the absence of light. We call it claustrophobia, because the lack of light is always tied up with enclosed spaces, so that fear is one, is fear of the other. You see? And those people of the tunnel... Those people of the tunnel consisted of those unfortunates whose mentality did not quite possess the resiliency to overcome the claustrophobia that overtook them in the darkness. Fifteen minutes without light is a long time. You only had two or three minutes, and I believe you were fairly upset. The people of the tunnel had what is called the claustrophobic fixation. Their Latin fear of darkness and enclosed spaces had crystallized and become active and, as far as we can tell, permanent. That's what 15 minutes in the dark will do. There was a long silence, and Theremin's forehead wrinkled slowly into a frown. I don't believe it's that bad. You mean you don't want to believe? Snap Sharon. You're afraid to believe. Look out the window. 
Perriman did so, and the psychologist continued without pausing. Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. The houses, the trees, the fields, the earth, the sky, black. And stars thrown in, for all I know, whatever they are. Can you conceive it? Yes, I can, declared Theremin truculently. And Sheeran slammed his fist down upon the table in sudden passion. July! You can't conceive that. Your brain wasn't built for the conception, any more than it was built for the conception of infinity or of eternity. You can only talk about it. A fraction of the reality upsets you. And when the real thing comes, your brain is going to be presented with the phenomenon outside its limits of comprehension. You will go mad, completely and permanently. There is no question of it, he added sadly. And another couple of millennia of painful struggle comes to nothing. Tomorrow there won't be a city standing unharmed in Olagash. Theremin recovered part of his mental equilibrium. That doesn't follow. I still don't see that I can go loony just because there isn't a sun in the sky. But even if I did, and everyone else did, how does that harm the cities? Are we going to blow them down? Bashirin was angry, too. If you were in darkness, what would you want more than anything else? What would it be that every instinct would call for? Light, damn you, light. Well, and how would you get light? I don't know, said Theremin flatly. What's the only way to get light short of a sun? How should I know? They were standing face to face and nose to nose. Sheeran said, you burn something, mister. Ever see a forest fire? Ever go camping and cook a stew over a wood fire? Heat. Is the only thing burning wood gives off, you know. It gives off light, too, and people know that. And when it's dark, they want light, and they're going to get it. So they burn wood. So they burn whatever they can get. They've got to have light. They've got to burn something. And wood isn't handy, so they'll burn whatever is nearest. They'll have their light, and every center of habitation goes up in flames. Eyes held each other as though the whole matter were a personal affair of respective willpowers, and then Theremin broke away wordlessly. His breathing was harsh and ragged, and he scarcely noted the sudden hubbub that came from the adjoining room behind the closed door. Sheeran spoke, and it was with an effort that he made it sound matter-of-fact. I think I heard Yimit's voice. He and Pharaoh are probably back. Let's go in and see what kept them. Might as well, muttered Theremin. He drew a long breath and seemed to shake himself. The tension was broken. The room was in an uproar, with members of the staff clustering about two young men who were removing outer garments even as they parried the miscellany of questions being thrown at them. 
Atzen hustled through the crowd and faced the newcomers angrily. Do you realize that it's less than half an hour before deadline? Where have you two been? Farrell seated himself and rubbed his hands. His cheeks were red with the outdoor chill. Yimit and I have just finished carrying through a little crazy experiment of our own. We've been trying to see if we couldn't construct an arrangement by which we could simulate the appearance of darkness and stars so as to get an advanced notion as to how it looked. There was a confused murmur from the listeners and a sudden look of interest entered Atten's eyes. There wasn't anything said of this before. How did you go about it? Well, said Pharaoh, the idea came to Yimit and myself long ago, and we've been working it out in our spare time. Yimit knew of a lone one-story house down in the city with a domed roof. It had once been used as a museum, I think. Anyway, we bought it. Where did you get the money? interrupted Atten preemptorily. Our bank accounts, grunted Yimit. It cost 2,000 credits. Then defensively, well, what of it? Tomorrow, 2,000 credits will be 2,000 pieces of paper. That's all. Sure, agreed Pharaoh. We bought the place and rigged it up with black velvet from top to bottom so as to get as perfect a darkness as possible. Then we punched tiny holes in the ceiling and through the roof and covered them with little metal caps, all of which could be shoved aside simultaneously at the close of a switch. At least we didn't do that part ourselves. We got a carpenter and an electrician and some others. Money didn't count. The point was that we could get the light to shine through these holes in the roof so that we could get a star-like effect. Not a breath was drawn during the pause that followed. Atten said stiffly, "'You had no right to make a private—' Farrell seemed abashed. "'I know, sir, but frankly, Yimit and I thought the experiment was a little dangerous. "'If the effect really worked, we half expected to go mad.' from what Sheeran says about all this. We thought that would be rather likely. We wanted to take the risk ourselves. Of course, if we found we could retain sanity, it occurred to us that we might develop immunity to the real thing and then expose the rest of you the same way. But things didn't work out at all. Why? What happened? It was Yimut who answered. We shut ourselves in and allowed our eyes to get accustomed to the dark. It's an extremely creepy feeling, because in total darkness, it makes you feel as if the walls and ceiling are crushing in on you. But we got over that and pulled the switch. The caps fell away, and the roof glittered all over with little dots of light. Well? Well, nothing. That was the wacky part of it. Nothing happened. It was just a roof with holes in it. And that's just what it looked like. We tried it over and over again. That's what kept us so late. But there just isn't any effect at all. There followed a shocked silence, and all eyes turned to Sheeran, who sat motionless, mouth open. Theremin was the first to speak. You know what this does to the whole theory you've built up, Sheeran, don't you? He was grinning with relief. Bashirin raised his hand. Now, wait a minute. 
Just let me think this through. And then he snapped his fingers, and when he lifted his head, there was neither surprise nor uncertainty in his eyes. Of course! He never finished. From somewhere up above, there sounded a sharp clang, and Bine, starting to his feet, dashed up the stairs with a, What the devil! And that was part one. And next week I'll bring you part two to explain everything. I have an email address if you'd like to get in touch with me. Beyond3x5 at gmail.com I'd love to hear from you. 